no matter how long you're in the photography business, there will always be questions. In the Motherhood Anthology community and membership, we get lots and lots of questions about pretty much anything and everything you can imagine. We really wanted to carve out a dedicated space on the podcast to give those questions the attention they deserve. Welcome to the Motherhood Anthology podcast, photography education for a business you love. My name is Kim Box and I'm your host with the collaboration and help of my co-hosts and business partners at the Motherhood Anthology, Jenny Kruger and Allison Craig. Today I'm joined by both Jenny and Allison to answer 10 of the most popular questions from our community. Today's episode Q&A features a range of topics from pricing and products to Santa sessions and AI. So now I present to you episode number 39 of the Motherhood Anthology podcast. Today we're going to do a 10 and 10 and we haven't done that in a while and that's supposed to be 10 questions in 10 minutes but it's going to be more than 10 minutes. So we pulled some questions from our membership group and I'm just going to feed those to you guys and see what you have to say, any advice or thoughts. Number one question, people say that I'd love to know more about weathering the storm through this crazy economy, especially if you aren't already well-established. Should you come up with a new offering at a different price point, stay the course and be patient, how to communicate value to people who might not be valuing photography as much right now? So what do you say to that? So I think this is a worry that a lot of people are having and talking about right now. And for me, like the number one thing I can say, which obviously this is more of a long game and not a quick overnight fix, but the more expensive you are, and this is going to sound so counterintuitive, (laughs) but the more expensive you are, the more high end your brand is, and the more you're going after those higher end clients they are not often as affected by these economic changes or worries. And I think that that alone helps a lot. Whereas a lot of the middle of the road to lower priced photographers and clients looking for those are definitely feeling it a little bit more and having to be like a little more cautious with their spending, with their choices and I found that when you're not in those groups so much, it, it's not as big of a deal. Obviously, like if you are in the more middle of the road or you're not targeting those clients that aren't as effective, that's really scary, right? Because like you could have a great business and have all these bookings and then you're in a spot where you just don't one day. And so there's a few things that I would recommend. One would be like trying to go up in bracket in terms of client and like how you're doing that, which like I said, is more of a, it's not an overnight fix. I have always seen that like multiple streams of income is good for things like these. I think we saw during COVID, obviously if you were only photographing weddings and then you can't do that for a whole year, that's not ideal. So like having multiple streams of income, whether it's photography related or not can be helpful. And then you could play around with your offerings, you know, maybe just do something like not so much change your pricing, but like, see if more clients would book, if you can get in at a lower price point, but then your average sale still stays what you need it to be because there still will be the clients that want to buy more, want to buy all their images, whatever your all kind of high sale might be. But you could kind of play around with like having a lower barrier to entry. So if they are a little bit 
nervous or worried about spending X amount, they could see that, hey, we could do this and still only spend this amount if we wanted to. So there's definitely ways you can play with it. And then I think too, depending on your personal situation, if you're in a position where you rely on your income and you're the sole breadwinner, that's different than somebody who is working part-time for extra fund money and things like that. Like that's just going to change how you could approach the wait it out or try some different things or branch out kind of things, you know? I think the one thing to remember through all of it though, is that you have to make sure that you are charging to be profitable because whether or not you're, you know, weathering the storm of like our economy changing a bit, or you're weathering the storm of COVID or whatever, it's important that when you are working, you're profitable. So that, you know, if you're needing to make money tomorrow because you are the sole breadwinner, and that means that you you do need to make like a big, you know, shift in your pricing. And that means that you're maybe going to change to take on more, sh- more sessions and lower your price a little bit for a certain amount of time. It, it still has to be so that you aren't in the red after sessions. So that's the real important thing to remind yourself through all of it, no matter what. And I'll say too, and I'm not sure the year we had, you know, we had a studio through, I think it was 2008 when the economy, you know, went through a similar time. And I'll say too, like, I think when you're early in your career, you don't have enough of history to kind of give you some peace of mind that everything's going to be okay, no matter kind of what the situation. But I will say, you know, we were very nervous. And the great thing about being in, I think, motherhood photography or wedding photography is that those are two things that people are generally going to find money for because you can't, you know, people are going to have babies and they're going to get married no matter. And those things you can't redo, you know, you can't go back and document them later when you have more money. So we're in a great industry one and two, looking back, I can say now I'm probably even more relevant that if you have positioned yourself so that you are profitable, that your expenses aren't crazy, that you can weather the storm, so to speak, you're going to be so much better coming out the other end of this because it is going to kind of weed out the people that, that weren't really serious about it. And, you know, if there's not like tons of money flying around and tons of business and you can manage to just kind of buckle down and, you know, do your best through it and, and get through it, then you're going to be even more successful when it passes. So I don't know if that helps. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Question number two, do you mind talking about your inquiry to booking rates? Do people make it through your inquiry process and still say no? What are their reasons? Is there anything you suggest to have on your website inquiry form to weed out the no's? So for me, and we just talked about this in the live that we had in membership, I I get no's all the time. I get ghosts all the time. And Jenny, Jenny touched on this, but I think that you know, it really depends on if you're willing to receive those no's, how you have your website set up, your contact form set up, 
I don't want to give a whole lot of information on my website as far as pricing, because I want to have the opportunity to convey all of that with my inquiry response and also in my follow-ups. So I don't put a whole lot of pricing information on my website intentionally, knowing that that is then going to give me a whole lot of people that don't respond or say I'm out of their budget or price range or whatever. And, you know, we also talked about this on the live that for artists, it's, it's personal, right? And it's sometimes really hard to hear those no's, but it's also really good to hear the yeses. And I think that, you know, for me, I don't mind at this point in my career getting ghosted or hearing the no's because, the way that I have it set up, it also yields a lot of really well-qualified yeses. And that's how I like it. Um, I think that you have to figure out what is, what is good for you. Um, I know that a lot of photographers want to really qualify their clients before sending over any information. They want to have them fill out a big questionnaire. They want to schedule a phone consultation. They want to get them on the phone and then they want to send over information. I personally don't want to do that. I don't have time to do that. And if a photographer asked that of me, I would mark them off my list because I don't want to do that much work just to see someone's pricing and if it's a good fit for me and my family. So I guess all of that said, I think that part of your process has to be a little bit more personal to you and your situation and what you want to do with your potential clients and what you're willing to receive back from them. So for me, I'm willing to receive no's, I'm willing to receive ghosts, and I'm also at the point where I like the amount of um, yeses that I'm receiving, and so it's a really good balance. Yeah, there's such a there's such a spectrum of, you know, what you were saying on one end of the spectrum of setting up consultations and phone calls and whatnot before they even get any pricing to the other end of the spectrum of having full pricing for literally everything that you offer on your website and then like everywhere in between. And so finding that balance of what you are comfortable putting out there and how many inquiries you want to field, you know, I think we can say that like, if you were getting 15 inquiries a day and zero were in your ideal client price range that could afford you, like I might put a little more qualifying information on my website to kind of weed some of those out. But if you're not getting a ton of inquiries or it's a manageable amount, having those people say no or ghost to me is still better than not knowing at all, you know, like if I put my full pricing out there, I don't know really ultimately if people aren't contacting me because they can't afford me or because they're not finding my website at all, or because they do find my website, but they don't even like my work. Like there's just no way to, to have that information. And so for me, not having full pricing on my site eliminates that guesswork in that. And then I know if people are ghosting me Or a lot of times if they are saying no to me instead of ghosting, it's always, always like 99.999% of the time due to price. And so that's information that I, I do want to have. And so I'm okay with that. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm okay with being the most expensive and getting told no because of that. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure this has happened with you too, Jenny. Like 
I have had people say, you know, I, you're out of my price range, but I will keep your name and like pass it on to my friends. And like their friends have booked me. So (laughs) it's, you know, given me the opportunity to like take them through my inquiry process. They might not have booked me, but they have shared my name because they've been impressed with like that, that experience to a certain point. Or they come back later. Maybe they can this year, but you know, one of them gets a big promotion or things change. I mean, my situation today versus 10 years ago, not even like comparable. And so a photographer that there's no way I could afford 10 years ago, you know, I could go back to today and it would be no big deal. Things like that, even, you know, in the span of six months to a year for some clients. And so I think just having, having a really good process and having that really good connection with those potential inquiries or potential clients can come back around for you in a, in a good way. Neither of you have pricing on your website. I have my um, creative fees buried on my website. Um, (laughs) So they have to search for it. (laughs) Same. Mine aren't, mine aren't so much buried, but I have my creative fees. I, if we want to get into it a little bit more, I'm actually not a huge fan. I definitely don't want to put full pricing on my site, but then a lot of people will suggest to either put a, average, like you could put your creative fee and then the average client spends X, Y, Z or a range. So creative fee is this, the average client spends between $1,000 and $5,000 say, I'm just throwing numbers out there. I personally actually don't like that more so than no pricing at all, or just the creative fees, because I don't want number one on both ends of the spectrum. I don't want to scare off a potential client if they see, you know, an average of three or $4,000 or that range from let's say one to $5,000, if they see those numbers and they're like, oh my gosh, absolutely not click out. Like I want them to stay on my website longer. I'm, I think we all can assume that a lot of people will go to a website and instantly within a few seconds, decide if they like your overall work and vibe and brand and then search for pricing. So if they've spent just a few seconds on my website, jump over to pricing and see that. And they're instantly like spooked. That's not ideal for me. And so I want to keep them there a little bit longer. I want them to read a little more. I want them to reach out to me. And then on the other end of the spectrum, if I put again, that example of 1000 to $5,000 of an average range that my clients might spend, I don't want that $5,000 to look like a cap, right? So like, would a client of mine spend eight, nine, $10,000. If they think the highest anybody spends is $5,000. I think that's going to, whether it's subconscious or not going to put that cap in their mind of like, that's the most anybody spends. And it would be crazy for us to spend $10,000. So again, both ends of the spectrum. I don't want, I don't want that in their heads at all. It's those like subconscious limitations that you're putting from the very beginning that Mm -hmm. I just don't want out there. So what's the next step after they email? Do you send pricing at that point? Yes, I do. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and like everyone always asks, like, how much do you give? I give all of it because I never, I never, ever, ever want clients to think that one, I'm trying to hide anything Two, that I'm not completely transparent and 
three that they haven't had every single bit of information about their investment at their fingertips from the very moment that they asked for it. So you guys are both, you know, very established. So if you had to go back and you were new, would that still be the case? Or do you think that you would build a little more communication in there to get to know them or for them to get to know you? Or Yeah, I think so for me. I have pretty much always done it like this. And I'm happy with the results. I know there are definitely people that are hardcore phone call consultation of some kind before they give pricing. I think it's a fine line of if you're not going to put full pricing on your site, which I don't recommend, or even a range, which again, like I said, don't recommend. If you're not going to do that, once somebody has taken their time to fill out your contact form, And, and again, this is super personal. These are opinions. It's not a right or wrong situation in this situation that I'm about to say, but once somebody for me, once somebody has taken the time to click around my site, decide that it's worth it to fill out my contact form and give me their information. Normally they're asking for price because they've already gotten all the other information that they need. But especially if they're asking for price for me, I don't want to. I'm uncomfortable not giving that to them at that point. And it's kind of like, you have given me a little bit, you've put in a little bit of effort. Like there, I've seen people say that they, if there's not full pricing or a good, you know, pricing indication on a website, they won't even bother contacting the photographer. And for me, I'm almost like, if, if that is the make or break it for you as a client, you probably aren't going to number one, pay my prices or want to go through all of my processes or kind of like have this experience that I offer. And so like, if you, if you can't be willing to fill out the contact form to get more pricing, then we're probably not a good match. But again, once you are willing to do that, and once you've taken your time to do that, I feel like it's my turn to then give you what you asked for and be transparent. Like Allison said, um, I'm, I'm absolutely not booking a client or even talking about booking a client without them having that full pricing information. And I guess I'll sort of speak to something else. You know, Jenny is, Jenny hates the phone. <laughs> I don't mind being on the phone. However, I, as a, from a client perspective, like if I ask for pricing, I would net, like, I would, even if I loved someone's work, I would totally cross them off my list if they required a phone call. Again, this is totally personal. Like I have examined this as me being the client. So that's why I don't require a phone call in order to get pricing information for myself. So, you know, Kim, you asked about like, would we do anything over? And, you know, Jenny hates the phone. I don't mind the phone. I'm extroverted. I like talking to people, but I still wouldn't go back and require a phone call to get pricing information, just because from a client standpoint, I would totally like cross someone off the list if they required that of me in order to just get their pricing. I wouldn't mind talking to someone after I received their pricing if I had questions, but not before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, it's not that I don't like won't get on the phone with a client. If a client asks to talk on the phone or, you know, like Allison said, wants to clarify pricing or talk more about their session, like absolutely let's schedule a phone call. But for me, it just comes down to aside, if you're not going to put everything and everything on your site, there's got to be some kind of like balance of like how hard you are going to make it, how many steps you are going to give clients in order to book you and say, yes, like for me, I want to make it as easy as possible for a client to 
sign that contract and pay that creative fee. And so I don't want to put a lot of steps and effort on their part in between some. And that, again, that's where that balance comes in that feels right to you. A small amount, but not too much that they're like, okay, this is too hard. I'm going to move on to somebody else. And you just have to find that balance. I think for me, like, because I love sales, but not being salesy, but I feel like I I like the interaction of, you know, talking. I don't love a phone call, but the interaction of like talking with clients, I think that if I were struggling to book, I wouldn't set it up so that I was not giving them pricing if they requested it, but more so when they filled out the contact form, if I could get their, their phone number, I, I think if I was struggling to book, I would reach out with a phone call just to say hello, introduce myself and talk about my process a little bit with them. And I think you'd get a feel for like, they don't want to be on the phone or like we jive here and we have chemistry. And I think that would definitely, if you're struggling to book and you feel like you're, you're good with people and on the phone that that might be helpful. So. Yeah. And I know there are so many people that do do phone calls and have great success. And we'll say every time I schedule a phone call with an inquiry, I book them. And for me, it's, it's the total opposite. Like, I don't know if I'm awful on the phone. I don't <laughs> think it's that bad, but literally every inquiry that asks to talk on the phone is never my ideal client. They right. never book. And I don't think it's that I don't think it's so much that the phone calls are going horribly wrong or that I'm awful on the phone. I think it's more so that it's always, it's just never my ideal client or average normal client that asks for a phone call. It's always right. like either a grandparent or I don't know, just really weird, gotcha. weird situations that I'm like, okay, this is just not, but it's always those ones and they never And so for me, it's just not, it's not been worth it, but a lot of people will say that it absolutely is worth it. So that's, that's awesome. We'll move on. So (laughs) question number three, which products do you sell the most of? And why do you think that's the case? Ooh, I like this one. Okay. Before I even say what mine are, I think you will always, I think I know (laughs) (laughs) you will always sell the most of what you just love the most, you know, like you are so much more authentic in your love for the product and how you can easily sell it authentically without being, like you said, salesy, you know, you don't have to be salesy to sell at all. I think when you really love something, it's so much easier to sell and clients again, maybe subconsciously, mostly it's just really subconscious. So for me, (laughs) I would say it is albums taking digital files away. Most of my clients always receive all of their digital files, either just buying them or receiving them with artwork. And so taking that off the table, for me, it's definitely albums. And I I love them. I mean, my studio is filled with samples of Indie Print Co. albums. And so once a client holds those, I've had so many dads pick them up and they're like, oh, I want this. <laughs> I had an ordering session just a couple of months ago where I've just started offering in-person ordering again and giving clients the choice. And so this client wanted to come in and order and she sat down and she knew she wanted to order four frames for a wall gallery. And the dad was like, okay, but I want an album. Like these are amazing. And so it was just an easy add on to what she had already planned on ordering. And he just loved them. And I think, I don't know if they're just my favorite. (laughs) I'm so glad they are. How about you, Allison? 
I, man, I need to go back and like look at this year because I think that there's been a shift toward albums. I used to be, um, I used to sell a ton of frames and I still do sell a lot of frames, but since I am now doing everything from, um, you know, North Carolina, I feel like I can very easily, you know, receive an album, pack it up, ship it off. I can drop ship frames easily, but albums are, I don't know, they, they're less intimidating to me to, um, do everything from afar and also frames went up a little bit in price. And so I like, I like that my cost is a little bit lower on albums. And so I've actually created like a little bit of an incentive for clients just this year to really try to sell more albums and it's been working. So I think albums probably has surpassed now frames and Again, they're an easy sell. Indie Print Co. albums are beautiful and you just have to put them in their hands and they sort of do the sell for you. So it's not it's not too hard to make it happen. Smiling over here. Thank y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. <laughs> yes. You said that you have an incentive. You want to share what that is? Yeah. So I've sort of played around with, with what I've offered like late last year and then this year. So late last year, um, I said, okay, you know, if you want to take a hundred dollars off of an album, you're more than welcome. And if you buy all of your digital files, you can take $200 off of an album. And that just sort of like incentivized selling albums. Well, then with my 2023 pricing, I switched it up a bit and I just included a hundred dollar credit toward an album for single sessions or $200 in an album credit for membership sessions. And that was just my way of, you know, I'm not a huge fan of a print credit because it just sort of either one doesn't get used or two, um, it's, like it's toward anything. And I don't like that open-endedness of it, but I feel like with creating a print credit that is towards something that, you know, your cogs are, you know, a certain amount on and it's something that you really want to sell and that clients really love. It's a win-win for everybody. It's a win for the client. It's a win for me. So I switched that this year with single session and memberships and including that credit. So so yeah, we'll see how it works. You know, I've, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it's the result of adding that has definitely increased album sales. So it just plants the seed up front. They start thinking about it. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, when you're, when you have like a open-ended print credit, it's, I don't know, it, it feels different. Whereas, you know, when I, I do all of my ordering appointments online and so I can just say like, Hey, do you want to use that credit towards your album? And, you know, they say, yes, like, and even recently, you know, I, I have, a, you know, membership clients that, you know, they want to do a big album at the end. And so even doing it that way, you know, getting them to do 15 images from each session winds up with them doing, you know, 4,500 to $5,000 album, you know, at the, at the very end. So it, it, it winds up being a good thing. So I, I think that it's working and I, you know, if anybody's wanting to sell more albums, I think that was a really, you know, 
easy thing to implement in my workflow and it's yielding, yielding more, more album sales for sure. Okay. Question number four, do you have people that only want digitals and how do you handle ordering sessions when people have indicated they only want digitals? Do you still make mock-ups? Yes. So definitely people that just want digital files. Jenny and I have said this over and over again, but it's super important that when you're doing your cost of doing business, you structure your pricing so that if every single client walks away with just getting your digital files, you're fine and you're happy and you're content. Do I want my clients to get artwork? Absolutely. But if they all leave with with just getting digital files, I'm still making the salary, the desired salary that I want. My employee is still making the desired salary that she wants and all is well. So the way that I, my business is structured is I do all of my ordering appointments online. So um, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't, I don't know what they're going to buy. They don't tell me beforehand. So when their images are ready, whether it's myself that did a session or my employee Monette, she delivers the, the files. I have my own files and I do a quick mock-up of products that have their own images. And I upload that to an online gallery and we have content on this inside of the membership that shows exactly how we do it. And it makes it seamless and easy and beautiful for them to go through. And so they are able to see their images in actual products. They're able to see their images like in the gallery. And then they're able to see images of just general products and other people images and artwork and go through an order. And, you know, I don't know going into ordering appointments, what they're going to buy unless they've told me and nine times out of 10, it's going to change. You know, I can have somebody that says they just, just want digitals. And if I serve them well, they might walk away, you know, with an album and digital files. Yeah. I mean, I approach everything with the intent of them getting digital files plus something, but I'm totally okay if they walk away with just getting their digital files because my pricing supports just that. That's the same for me too. I think it's important to, regardless of what you sell or how your pricing is set up to never have something that a client can buy that you're going to be either under your cost of doing business. So then in the red, if for that session or sale, or that you're resentful that a client was able to buy that. Because again, you're in control, like it's your business and it's so personal. And there's so many different ways to do it correctly, as long as you're profitable. And so if you've set your pricing up so that regardless of what a client buys, you're happy with that sale, I think you're in a good spot. Obviously, if you are a photographer that doesn't want to sell only files ever, that is something that you can play around with to either only allow files with product purchases. Like there's so many different things you can tweak to make it so you're happy with your business. But as long as you are okay with those only file sales, which I love selling products, but I also equally love my clients that are digital only. Like I would never, I would, I would never want to turn them away. And so as long as I'm making, again, I've set up my pricing so that regardless of what a client chooses, I'm not in the red, I'm not resentful of that. And I'm happy with that sale. You're good to go. Question number five, would love tips on selling wall art and designing wall galleries. 
Could you walk through the entire process of using a client's actual home walls? So I do this with my iPad. I have an iPad with the shoot and sell app, which is made by the same owner of the photographer's wall displays, wall guides, something like that. Don't quote me. Her name is, I believe, Ariana, and she developed that app. And so you can either have a client send you a picture of their wall or you can, you know, go to their home and take the picture with your iPad and then design and use the scale and get the correct sizing and whatnot in their image. And so I I tell people that I'm a super, super boring wall gallery designer, if you will. Um, And that's just my personal preference. Like I prefer a Uh, I don't know what the right word is for this, but a wall gallery that doesn't have, not a collage type of wall gallery. I don't love to mix a lot of different sizes and things like that. And so I want to have usually all the same size, um, you know, two by two. So like a a set of four, a set of six, like three and three, or you can do two, two and two stacked on top of each other. I like that. You could do nine. So three rows of three, two big ones, like side by side or on a long skinny wall to verticals like on top of each other and pretty much only doing those kinds of things. And so number one, I just like that. It's more modern. It's more clean. It's simple. That's my vibe. And it's also really easy to design. So that's usually what I'm showing clients. And sometimes we'll switch it up. Sometimes they'll ask for something or that's a really weird wall. And so we can, you know, with that app, totally customize what it looks like and show them. And then, you know, we plug their images in. I usually tell them to think first about go off their favorite images instead of trying to like decide what images they should put on the wall, really just go with those gut images. And I'm always, I'm always telling them that I'm never a everyone looking and smiling on the wall kind of client myself. And so I'm always picking those more emotional camera unaware type of images. And so that's kind of what I recommend for my clients, but we'll just kind of put together some ideas and, and then go from there. I use um, Swift galleries. So I've used them for years and you're able to, it's, I think it's, I'm not utilizing the program to its full capacity by any means, but you're able to upload the client's wall. And as long as you have something for a size reference that they've taped to the wall. So I always just have them use a piece of printer paper. So I know it's an eight and a half by 11. Then I just upload it to Swift and I, um, I'm able to use that image and then I am it's synced to Musea for the frames. So I'm able to actually pull the actual frames in there and adjust the size of the mats and the frames and add images and you can create your own, just like what Jenny said, whatever, whatever gallery sizes you want, shapes all of that. I am the same as Jenny. I don't really like collage galleries. If a client requests it, I'll do it. But other than that, anything that I'm sending them is very much, um, you know, threes, like galleries of like three on top, three on the bottom. I'll do three vertical, like to the right of a door, stuff like that. That's just very minimal and easy. And also you can build on it for a client so that, you know, a lot of my membership clients will start with three and then we'll add, you know, three more or, so on and so forth. And you can put placeholders in there if you're wanting to build like a big gallery over a membership. And so you can sort of 
you know, work with that and uh, save space for future sessions. But I think that both of the programs do the same thing. It's just, I don't, I don't have, I'm not familiar with Apple anything. I'm one of those weird Android people. So I just use Swift galleries. <laughs> okay. Question number six, what are your weekly marketing activities? Can you go into detail on which ones are must do each week and how you organize them? Well, man, I don't organize. Everything. <laughs> 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 um, I organize a lot, but I don't organize that. So I should, but I don't. I think that both myself and Jenny can speak to the fact that we try to blog every week. We try to be present on social media, in stories and in grid. We don't, not weekly, but monthly, we try to send out a newsletter of some sort. And really like what we say all the time is that consistency is key. So you just, you need to to decide what you can commit to and then commit to it. So if being on social media in stories three times a week is what is doable for you and your business, then commit to that and do it. If you can swing daily in stories and, you know, posting to your grid twice a week, then do it. If you can blog once a week, great, do it, but just be consistent with it so that people know that you're going to show up and be present. And Google knows that you're showing up and being present and you're not just sort of like being there, like overwhelming people for a week with your presence and then ghosting them for three weeks, because we all know how ghosting feels. We, it happens (laughs) whenever clients do it to us. And it, it's not, it doesn't feel good. And then when you do show up, you're like, wow, they're overwhelming me. And then they're just going to disappear next week. So it's better to be casually present all the time than to just be an on and off switch. I agree. And I think just kind of figuring out like your marketing pillars or puzzle pieces. I like to use the analogy that marketing is a lot of little and different things done consistently and obviously like done well. And so if your website is not set up for proper SEO with like keywords and all of that stuff, then blogging isn't going to help you. So like on the front end, you really need to make sure that you've got all of that in place before you then start blogging weekly and things like that. So finding out what your little puzzle pieces are and then making sure that they all fit together and you can actually do them. And like Allison said, like keep up with it consistently is more important than trying to do 200 different marketing things a week. So like she said, blogging to be consistent with SEO, kind of like making sure that that's all running smoothly, even just like updating your website portfolio or images. I know a lot of times, like especially in your first couple years of business, although this this still applies to me 13 years later, you know, an image that you loved a year or two ago maybe is not what you thought it was, or you have one you love more now. And so just kind of like making sure that your website is, and your portfolio on your website is kept up to date and your newest and best work is shown. I see so many times where people will say like, I need marketing help. Um, I'm doing this and this. Oh, but don't look at my website. I haven't updated that in a year. And to me, that's like the easiest thing that you can truly, truly control and have you know, all control of is your website. And so you have to help yourself kind of um, in that department and really keep on top of that. And then same for Instagram, like just kind of that quiet, like constant presence 
obviously like you can take, take days off every week. I'm not saying like seven days a week, you should be in your stories like 10 hours a day, but, um, having some consistency there and just being consistent with your brand overall in your stories. So figuring out what business things you're going to share, what couple of personal things you're going to share. You can leave so much of your personal life to be private and choose just a few small key things that you are willing to share on social media and kind of just make sure that you are keeping up with those things. Okay. Question number seven, Santa sessions this year, when do you start planning and what are your best tips? So <laughs> I quit Santa and I love it. So I'm going to let Allison take this one fully. <laughs> so I started planning Santa, like reserving him, his hours, his day in, oh man, December or January, because they really do look up so quickly. I do all of my Santa registration in July. So I always call it Christmas in July. I've always done it that way. It makes it a lot easier to sort of break up the entire process that way so that it's just not so overwhelming because it is such a big event. So I will have registration next month and then the actual event, I am lucky enough that I have Monette who works for me. So we always do the first weekend in November. So in November, I will fly in and we will, I will do all of the um, shooting and then I will hand her my cards and she will do all of the editing, which will be so nice. Um, then I will do all of the gallery deliveries. So sort of breaking it up and have some help with that. Um, but I think that, you know, if you're on the fence about doing Santa, I think that you really do need to make a decision now. If you want to have a really successful event, don't do last minute because it. For me personally, it takes a lot of effort and energy to pull it off and make it, make it good. And I don't like to rush through it. I like to have the registration done in July so that I know how many people are coming. I know if I need to add hours or a day, and especially with me flying back to Houston for the event that like that throws, you know, another piece to the puzzle into the, you know, equation. So there is, if you're in membership, there is like an entire section on Santa and how to pull it off. And I always do three families every 15 minutes and it works well. I don't do like the whole Santa experience. It's very much a quantity thing for me and it's worked well. So I'm going to keep it that way this year. Jenny, why, why did you stop shooting Santa? So Originally, I stopped during COVID. <sighs> this is hard. <laughs> I I think I did eight years of Santa. And with the first year of COVID, like I definitely did not feel comfortable hosting Santa still. And really even the second year. And then my last year, I just kind of, I, I had been feeling ready to stop Santa before, long before COVID. So it was one of those things that every year I really struggled with wanting to continue to give my many, many Santa clients uh, that, again, consistent experience with the same Santa and with their same kind of pictures for their kids. And like I had just I've had I mean, I've had people that had been there for eight years. And so I really struggled with 
wanting to do that. Obviously, the income from Santa is really, really great. But I just felt like it was, it was mentally and emotionally exhausting. Um, you know, it's funny because I, when my kids were really, really, really small, or even when I was pregnant with them, I definitely said that I wasn't going to even do Santa with them. (laughs) So here I was all these years later, hosting Santa and having my kids do Santa, which they loved. Um, but I, I think I just got to a point where it was too emotionally, too much for me. You don't know which kids are going to have a good reaction, which kids are going to have a bad reaction. And, you know, I've read a bunch of things where it's just, I, it's just not for me anymore to do. So many other people are doing Santa now. So I don't feel as bad that my clients aren't able to get something similar. Um, and I, I just, I couldn't watch these little babies cry anymore, <laughs> to be honest. I understand. I um, went with my daughter. She did Santa with a new baby this year and I went with her and uh, it was like a little bit of P- what is it? PTSD. It's like, oh my God, it's so great. I don't want it. I don't want it to sound like it's a great yeah. money maker. It's and so when it's hard. good, it's really good. It's but so magical like, for the kids that love it. it really right. Is. And so I don't want to. I don't want to downplay that. And I'm glad I did it all those years. I just, it's a lot. (laughs) I think that that as a photographer, you have to set that boundary, which, which I did of, you know, well, of what you're comfortable with, right? Like Mm -hmm. what you said, Jenny, of, you know, there are some people who want this, this image of this smiley, happy baby on Santa's lap and it's just not going to happen. And you cannot force a child to sit on a strange man's lap to get that, to get that image. And so it's, yeah, yeah, there's some boundaries that you have to really be comfortable enforcing when you have parents that are really pushing you to continue. Yeah. I think we're going to, we should do a whole podcast on Santa. We should. We could. Santa, <laughs> Santa and boundaries. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, so many great things about it and so many good things. And then there is a flip side of just a psychological and emotional, like other side to it that I think that a lot of people just don't really think about. I mean, I didn't for years. I thought it was fine and it was fine for me. I mean, I was, I was exhausted after it and, but always glad that I did it. And so yeah, there are definitely just two sides. And so, so tell me, have you guys set up your summer schedule any differently? So, um, is it, is summer slower for y'all or how are you, how are you setting up your schedule to have time for family and kids? Well, I was kind of hoping summer would be a little bit slower, but, and it, it started to look like that probably in May ish. And now I would say that is not the case. And so I'm really having to limit And I was talking to y'all earlier and we were talking about how, for me, I'm still kind of doing anywhere from one to four sessions per week. And so I've got my kids in camp one whole week in June, one whole week in July. And they're trying to cram a bunch of stuff in there. And then I told my kids they're old enough now, 13 and nine, that we can really sit down every kind of Sunday night and look at the week and look and see what days I have clients scheduled and kind of like plan our schedule around that. So we have writing lessons for each of them a couple of times a week. And so we'll go to that. That's like non-negotiable changing times. And then otherwise 
our schedule will really vary. So, you know, say this week I have Wednesday and Thursday morning sessions. I might take Wednesday afternoon off and we'll go and do something or go to the barn that day. So just kind of playing it by ear every week to kind of see what fits in and make a plan versus I think for us, it's important to kind of like let it be loose, but each week kind of like look over the calendar and kind of make that plan and those boundaries um, so that I'm not just sitting at the computer all day or at the studio all day. So for me, I typically work nine to two and I'm able to like drop my kids off work, go pick my kids up. Um, And so I'm shifting my my work hours so that I'm working seven to 12. And that way I am getting done early and we can go play. So whether that's, you know, going up to the neighborhood pool or going on a hike or taking a little, you know, day trip or, you know, doing whatever we can, I'm just not working all day long and sort of getting off, getting, you know, getting off early. Um, with traveling back to Texas. So I went back the very beginning of June for my grand opening party and to see clients. And then I am not going back the rest of June or July and am tentatively going back the beginning of August. So that's really nice. (laughs) I've not had like that much time consistently at home with my family in a long time. And so the fact that that coincides with summer is just fantastic because I feel like I said this during the live, but Kim, I hear you all the time saying that like, you know, your, your son is all of a sudden 18 and where did it go? And, you know, Charlie turns 13 next month. And I know that these summers are just going to fly by. So the fact that I get to stay here this summer and be with them is great. Summer is still really busy. I feel like it's the same as Jenny. You know, I was not quite sure how the summer was going to like round out. Um, but we've got like, I mean, total of, I don't know, it's going to wind up being probably close to like eight to 10 sessions in June and probably the same in July and August is busy. And then uh, Monette's having a baby in in September. So it's going to be a busy summer and it's good. It's all busy with a side of rest, which is nice. (laughs) I have a friend that says her, her thing is Fridays are for fun. So every Friday, it's a, it's a fun day for her family. And I will always wanted to ad- adopt that. Just don't work on Fridays and make that fun Friday. Oh, that's fun. That's nice. I like that. Okay. Any thoughts on all the new AI stuff? How do you feel about it? How are you using it? Oh man. So <laughs> Photoshop's fun to play around with. I've played around with it. You know, you can't use that yet for like actually delivering to clients I'm also, I don't really know how I feel about, about it because, you know, the terms and conditions, you know, then Photoshop can use the images that you're using, you're giving it. And so I feel like that's really sticky. I feel like, you know, even though clients have signed model releases and contracts and all the things, it just, I don't know. It just, maybe it makes me like an old geezer and it really isn't that big of a deal, but it, 
it doesn't really feel right to me that I'm uploading it and then their baby's lips could be used on someone else's picture. I, I don't even know if that's really how it works, but it's how it reads to me. So I'm not using it right now. Maybe once it's past beta and they really like iron out everything. Um, as far as like AI and um, like chat GPT, I think that's, I think it's great. Um, I use it often. Uh, Melissa, we were just talking about that with in like the SEO live that we did in group last week. And she talked all about how to utilize that to help write a blog post and um, give good ideas and, you know, just help with copy and all the things and where AI is at in in relation to like Google and Google not penalizing you and, and all of that. So those two different avenues, that's, that's, those are my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I, so I'm fully in agreement on all of that. I think to take it a step further, a lot of people, um, a lot of photographers are worried. Like I've seen a lot of talk about, are people going to need images? Like we can just AI everything. And for me, it's like, I think it goes back to what we do. Like Kim, you kind of said at the beginning, how like people will not stop getting married. They won't stop having babies no matter what happens. And it's kind of the same thing. Like if your photos are so emotional and about that connection with a mom and her baby, a parent and their baby, whatever it may be, um, you're not going to be able to replicate that in AI. And like, I don't know, as a mom, like as a parent, I want real photos. Like, yes, I want my photos to be lit beautifully. And I'm, I'm picky about what colors are in them and like what we're wearing and all of those things. But I still want real photos. Like, I don't want them to be fake of my family, you know? And so I think, um, maybe some other genres of photography, like headshots in particular, things like that. I, I still don't think it's that big of a deal, but I think they're possibly a little more worried. Whereas like, you're not, you're not going to fake this connection between me and my daughter. Like that is just, it is what it is. I want those real images. And so I think, I think we're really safe there. I'll just think that it, it makes what we do even more special, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I do feel like I, like I've, I've seen so many videos on the Photoshop AI. And I think that there's, there's two different avenues, right? Like there's what Jenny said, where you just, for me as a, a parent, I have zero desire to put a picture of my family in and just generate this totally fake, like, idea of where we were, what we were doing, what we looked like. But at the same time, I think back to like when my boys were little and I think about, you know, I, I have a picture in my kitchen of them, like in a field. And I, I can think back to like when they were obsessed with like dinosaurs or monster trucks. And like, I think it would be absolutely hilarious to have been able to put a dinosaur and a monster truck like behind them and put that on their wall because they would have thought it was hilarious. And so there's two different avenues, right? Like you can, you can take these beautiful, we can take these beautiful, authentic pictures, but then you can add in something funny and cute based on what they put in their questionnaire and add that. And 
we didn't have the ability to do that before. And I don't know, there's, I think that the way that it's going, we, we just have no around the potential of what's to come just because it's so big. I have, you know, I, well, I feel like I'm a grandma. <laughs> well, that's kind of my last question. And the, actually it's a question for me. So I've been around long enough to see a lot of changes in the industry. And so I'm curious to, to ask you guys, like, do you ever stop and think about like, what's this business going to be like, you know, in five or 10 years, do you have like, what, what do you think? Like, do you think things, what things do you think will see change? That's a good question. I do think, I do think we, based on AI are going to swing towards, um, like Allison was saying, like possibly those really, um, edited, dramatic, you know, a lot of visual digital editing and artwork that, you know, people might have done by hand before they're doing by AI now. And like, that's going to be possibly a trend that's coming. Um, not necessarily a trend that I'm going to follow. <laughs> um, I think I will always, I mean, I've just, I've never not been able to stick to this style. And I think that just comes back to when you're doing something that's authentically you, it's almost like physically impossible to do something else. And so I think if photographers can really like plant their flag in that and like really do what's authentically them, um, it's just so much easier. Like it's it just comes so natural that it's, you can't not do it. And so for me, I don't see like a huge change in like type of work that I'm doing or style of work that I'm doing, but it'll definitely be interesting to see those trends change. But the nice thing is like, there's room for all styles. Like even now there's very like dramatically spend an hour on an image editing. And it's really like a different vibe than a very, like I shot this on film and didn't edit a thing after. And it's just the raw film image. Like there's, there's such a drastic spectrum of different styles that, you know, I, I hope that we'll always have that. Cause I think that's good for the industry. I think that's good for the art. I think that's good for the clients to find what they really love. So I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Allison? I don't know. I mean, I look back at, you know, my parents have this, this Olin Mills picture hanging up still. And there's, there's some things that have just remained constant over time while trends have like come and go. Right. And so I think, I don't know. I look at this, I look at the AI and it makes you wonder, is this something that's going to create like a permanent shift in photography? But at the same time, you look at all of the big things that have happened since my family took that picture at Olin Mills and they felt equally as big, but they didn't create this permanent shift. They were just an addition to the photography world. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sort of in, in same camp as, as Jenny. I, I feel like I've been doing this now almost 11 years. I think there's room for AI. I think that, you know, once, you know, once Photoshop gets out of beta and everything is sort of clear on, you know, just on the details, 
you know, maybe we wind up using it and we wind up incorporating it into our business. Maybe we don't. Um, but I think there's room for everything. And I don't, I don't know, for me personally, I, I have zero desire to take my family and go create this, you know, fantasy image of, you know, who we aren't. I want, I want us all to show up. I want us to all take real pictures. I want to know that that's reality and that that's like a reflection of my family as they are. So, and I think that that, I think that my clients would echo that. I don't think that they, I don't think that they want this fake fakeness. I think that that is more for corporate so that they don't have to pay marketing for really expensive shoots. What I really hope I see come out of this is similar, I think, because, you know, when Josh and I started shooting, we were kind of the new first digital photographers in our area and it was all the old film guys. And so there was this, this wave, you know, we were the only ones shooting digital and then more and more and more people came along. And then there was a, you know, kind of this gravitation back to film because it's not what everybody was doing. So I hope that all the like the AI stuff really creates a tug back to, cause you know, every, I don't know if you guys feel this in the portrait world, but I know like towards the end of me shooting weddings, the thing that irritated me the most with what you know, you'd have your camera and people would say, no, would you use my phone here? Will you take it with my phone? <laughs> because they wanted to share it immediately. It was all for show. Like just, I need something I can share. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, I hope that there, you know, as this is going to, as AI will make it things more perfect and, you know, like more, I don't know if fake's the right word, but you know, like more artificial that there's kind of a tug back to just the nostalgia of this is for me. This mm-hmm. is for, you know, my family. And it's not, not to share, but for me to remember, um, not that, you know, we don't have that now, but I hope there is kind of a movement back to similar that there was with film, you know, like everybody's doing this thing. I want to do this thing. And so. Agree. I mean, I think cool, those cool, crazy, fun images will always be kind of like cool and like shocking at first and fun to see, but ultimately, you know, when my kids are my age, I, they're going to want to look back at albums with images, like what we all do in them. They're not going to want that one like shock value image. That's not what they're going to be searching the addicts for and things like that. Right. Okay. Well, we officially have to rename this because I don't know where 10 and 10 came from. (laughs) (laughs) Who can answer 10 of these questions in 10 minutes? Well, I actually do. I actually actually do think there's a, not in the photography circles, but there's a educator out there that I follow that does 10 questions in 10 minutes on social media. So I think the concept was supposed to be the same, but we're going to have to call it like, 10 questions in 60 minutes. (laughs) Anyway, well, thank y'all. This was good. Thank you. Thank you for having us on. It's fun to hop on here sometimes with you. I sure hope you found this Q&A useful and you were able to get some answers for a few questions or curiosities that you might have had. I know for myself, with more than two decades of experience in this business, not a day goes by that I don't have questions about something. And I also believe that when we stop asking questions, we stop learning. So here's to continuing to learn along with all of you. One thing I love about the TMA membership is that questions are encouraged, welcome, and best of all, answered. 
So if you're looking for answers to your questions or a group of individuals to navigate the ever-changing industry, then I'd love to have you join us at the Motherhood Anthology membership. Our doors are currently open. Inside the membership, you get over five years of educational materials, new monthly education, and ongoing advice and mentoring from myself, Jenny, Allison, and a whole community of members. Join us today at membership.themotherhoodanthology.com. Tony Robbins said, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your questions. So from Ireland's to yours, until next time, friends.